Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah. Welcome to our forum. Um, we are going to be talking this morning about um, remembering the saints in light, healthy, and holy grieving. Um, if we have an opportunity towards the end and you have questions or comments, we'll invite you to come up to this microphone um, and ask your comment or question. Um, but that's when we, when we get to that moment, you'll have, have a chance. But I ask that you stand close to the microphone and speak right into it so that we can all hear using our loop system and our community online can join in with us. So this morning, we have once again, Dr. Lisa Boswell. Um, she is a psychiatrist in private practice in the community and a longstanding member of St. Luke's along with her husband, Jim Boswell, and their three sons. Dr. Boswell completed her residency in psychiatry at Emory University and was on staff at Emory for seven years before moving to her private practice. She also serves as a volunteer at the Good Samaritan Health Center, where she works with an interdisciplinary team serving people experiencing homelessness. She has previously served on the board of TAC, uh, the Training and Counseling Center at St. Luke's, and is a volunteer and consultant at TAC currently. She has also been a longtime mentor in education for ministry program um, for over 20 years and has a long-standing interest in the intersection of spirituality and mental health. And then I also have my dear colleague, uh, the Reverend Dr. Horace Griffin, who's Senior Associate for Pastoral Care and Community Ministries and in addition to his clinical and pastoral training and teaching of pastoral care with the dying, he also served for a year as a hospice chaplain. So join me in welcoming these two. So we're going to be talking today about how, as a Christian community, we know what to do at the time of death. We say prayers, we gather together and share a Eucharistic meal, and we celebrate the life of our loved one and commend them to God's eternal care. And then we generally congregate for a reception to tell stories and laugh and cry and name the pain of grief and loss. But once that reception has finished and family and friends have returned to their homes, how do we go about the work of befriending our grief as we continue on our life's journey? So we're going to start with the question, what's the difference between grief and mourning? Either one of you. Sure, I'm happy to jump in. Um, and thank you all for being here today. I hope we can have a conversation with our shared experience and the wisdom that's in this room. Um, but grief is the internal experience, so it's the internal emotional process, the agony, all the complexity of feelings. Mourning, as I understand it, is sort of the outward expression of grief. And I like to throw in mm -hmm. the term grieving mm -hmm. also, because grieving is the 
learned process of learning to live with grief. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it's helpful sometimes to have some language mm -hmm. around that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I agree. And Lisa and I co-lead a grief support group. Uh, and it's, it's really good to be able to journey with our congregation who, uh, parishioners who've experienced so much grief and that grieving process. And so it, it is a process, it's, it's ongoing. And that's, as, as you go through those different stages, the anniversaries, uh, the memories, uh, different things that will remind you of that loved one, certain uh, events, certain places. And so part of this uh, healing is being able to find that support as you move through that. Uh, certainly the year, because those are kind of milestones as you go through the first Christmas or the first Easter mm -hmm. or the first birthday. Mm -hmm. So those tend to be really difficult. And we are, in our support group, those who've lost loved ones in the last six months. And so they're talking about some of it, some of them it's more fresh and how they're beginning to live life without reintegrating. Mm -hmm. That's part of that, um, the grieving process. Mm -hmm. And one of the phases is, how do I reintegrate with life mm -hmm. after the loss? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the other emotions that are involved in grieving? I think you all, having been through it, it's the full spectrum of human emotions. It's very powerful. Um, I wrote some down, and you all fill me in. Um, and a lot of it, as we know, depends on the type of death. Um, all death is unique and different. But shock, mm -hmm. uh, tremendous anxiety, uh, panic is actually very common. Panic around separation is common. Relief is a common emotion. I want to give everyone permission to talk about that as part of grieving. Um, it's important to know that uh, really loss of concentration and poor attention is part of it. That's really important. It's important if you're working um, and parenting, doing other things that require uh, real detail. Obviously, despair, confusion, disorganization, mm -hmm physical pain, um, fatigue and exhaustion is common. And, and sometimes in unexpected loss, just utter bewilderment is probably the best language I have for some of what we've been through. So. Yeah. Oh, I often, I use it when I was teaching seminary, Wayne Oates, who's a pastoral theologian, and he wrote the book, Grief, Transition, and Loss. And he talks about those six types of, of, of grief. Uh, the sudden grief. There's anticipatory grief, sudden grief, chronic grief, when people just cannot seem to get out of that grief. It's just, so if there's been some traumatic event and living in a space where the mental health community is, or psychiatrists and psychologists are really helpful to get them out of, they're stuck, kind of mm -hmm. stuck in grief. We've heard that. Uh, so, so that's cert certainly part of, um, when we talk about the different types of grief, I've also, one emotion is, is peace, mm -hmm. uh, which is great when you've been able to uh, reconcile if, if there's a loved one where there's been tension mm -hmm. and being able to have those last conversations and being able to find some peace in that. And then sometimes that's the, in, during that grief, you can just have that, that peace. Um, 
I, I had one woman speak to me about uh, forgiveness, mm -hmm. that she had to work on forgiveness. And I, when I was here two weeks ago, I talked about uh, those five parts of being able to uh, do a good death or a holy death. And one is being able to forgive. Because a lot of times that just keeps that pain there. Mm -hmm. And she talked about, she it was a, a woman with her sister and she was able to have that conversation. So when her sister died, there was peace mm -hmm. because she didn't have to carry that. And the struggle sometimes is it's unresolved if that cannot, if that did not happen. And you cannot write that. You cannot make it right. And sometimes that's a, a, another layer of grief because that person is gone and you cannot fix that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when you, um, when mental health professionals are so helpful mm -hmm. of helping somebody journey through how do I, even when somebody's not there, how do I move towards forgiveness um, in that relationship? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And being able to forgive oneself mm -hmm. um, too, because there are sometimes guilt feelings and, and I preached, last time I preached, I talked about forgiving oneself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's the hardest thing mm -hmm. for us is to do is forgive ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, what do you do with the would have, should have, could have hmm. thoughts that run in the ruminations of your mind after you've lost someone? One of the first things to know is that it happens. Yep. Um, and for those of you interested in reading about this, I've been reading an amazing book, kind of hot off the press, called The Grieving Brain by Mary Frances O'Connor. And she said so many things in this book that I think is helpful for that. Mm -hmm. And I'll, if I can just uh, use an example, I'm going to paraphrase the example that she uses in the book. But think for a minute about um, how at night when it's dark, a lot of times you'll get up and go to the bathroom mm -hmm. or you'll get up and go to the kitchen and get some water, which we all do. And it's dark, and, but you do it all the time. You kind of grab onto the bedpost here and then you grab... Maybe the dresser is here, and then the door to the bathroom is here, and the sink is here, and we do that all the time. We don't even think about it. So we encode in our brain these structures that help us live life. And you could get up and go down to the kitchen in the dark, but suppose in the middle of the night, somebody removed all the furniture in your house, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, all that encoding in your brain isn't making sense anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's real. It is a brain phenomenon. And then depending on the relationship, that can look different, right? It, it may be that's less significant if it's somebody who's out of town, very significant if it's your spouse. And um, we are always trying to make sense of when a loved one, when our, she calls them attachment bonds, when they're close or when they're separate, we're doing that all the time. Mm -hmm. When our six-year-old goes to first grade, mm -hmm. we've encoded their little selves at school. We expect them to come in. This is literally a neurological function. It helps us get through the day, and we're doing it all the time. So that has been disrupted in mm -hmm. loss, and it is an, as real a neurological event as a stroke would be. So we need to really give ourselves the grace to know that is happening. 
And um, so some of the woulda, shoulda, coulda is our, it, it's also what we do with stress and learning, and we're doing that all the time. Mm -hmm. So if your spouse comes in at the end of the day and they're normally conversational and you have a great coming in and they come in and they're silent, um, you're gonna be like, so what's wrong? Or did I do something wrong? You, you know, did, um, did you have, what, you're trying to, maybe you get anxious or mm -hmm. maybe get mad because they're not talking back to you. And so we do that all the time with our close relationships. We're checking them out, figuring out what's going on. We're staying close. And in grief, all of a sudden that's not there and our brains are just doing that in a really active way. We're trying to figure out what happened mm -hmm. and it's part of learning. It's one of the hardest parts. I know for me, I've had several losses in my life. So um, be kind to yourself and know that that is part of the work of the brain to adapt to the loss of this person is, oh my goodness, I should have done that. Or, you know, why did I leave? Um, because I had to rest that day. Why did I do that? And it can be agonizing, so. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that feeling of guilt to that that there's a struggle there often. Mm -hmm. um, if I'd only, I should have pushed more for, um, I heard it with my mom, for my dad to check on his health. Mm -hmm. if, if he could have only checked on his health more than he, they would have been able to diagnose pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. Pancreas is hard to know what's going on. But in her mind, she felt, if I had done this, mm -hmm. I could have saved, he would still be here. Uh, I, when I was hospice chaplain, there was a young man whose father passed away and the paramedics had been called and he felt like he failed his father because his father died. Mm -hmm. And so he, I was called to his room because he wanted to know how to be saved. And so he said he wanted to be with his father so he wanted to become saved and take his life and be with his father. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is I brought the father into the room. Mm -hmm. I said, how do you think your father would feel about that? Mm -hmm. He said, I think my father would be sad. Mm -hmm. And then we were able to shift the conversation that he needed some counseling, which he never got. And we set him up with a psych hospital. Mm -hmm. So he was able to get counseling to be able to relieve himself of some of that. Yeah. So that's, that's one way we respond. We, we partner with our spiritual and the mental, emotional, the therapy, which is why when I do the grief support group, I always have a clinical therapist. Thank God we have a number here. <laughs> uh, Meg Moy and then Raylan Mattis, Lisa Boswell, um, the three grief supports we have running now. Uh, so it's been great because the spiritual component and part of the comfort is scripture mm -hmm. and how we find comfort in that. That's part of the, the healing. Uh, those scriptures, particularly the Psalms, not just the Psalms, but a lot of the psalms in there to, to find comfort. And also, because the psalmists talk about the anger. Oh, yeah. Uh, talk about the lament, but talk about the anger. And you find it in the psalms that the Lord is my shepherd, is also oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or how long, O oh Lord? Mm -hmm. So I think they help uh, get some of that get comfort out. It also expresses that we throughout time have, that these are natural human emotions yes. and throughout time, we're not the only ones who are experiencing this type of grief or loss or, or even um, 
feeling a separation or an anger towards God. Yeah. 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 Uh, that the faithful before have also expressed that as well. Yeah. And God remains. Yes, right. <laughs> Even when we're angry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? I've certainly gotten a lot of that as chaplain. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, here, you know, his chaplain's coming in. And, and I remember, speaking of anger, uh, one woman was losing her mother. And I was called, this is when I was in Athens, at Athens Regional Medical Center. And she looked at me, and she said, I'm so angry. I know I shouldn't feel that way. And, and at that point, I said, no. I think you're fine. And I talked about parents. We've all been angry with our parents. Mm -hmm. Didn't mean we didn't love our parents, but we didn't understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. and, and this kind of being given permission, mm -hmm. and you could just see this kind of washing over of relief mm -hmm. that she, her emotion, being angry with God was okay. Mm -hmm. So Lisa, you've spoken a little bit about this, but how does um, our brain cope with grief and why does it take mm -hmm time to heal. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I think there are, um, one way to think about it is there are dual tracks going on with grief. One track is, in, and so by going back to the metaphor of walking in the dark, so we've got to learn to get to the kitchen in the dark when somebody's taking our furniture away. So um, there's the, the loss, the grieving, the adaptation to loss. And at the same time, uh, grieving is a process of learning. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes in our work together, if we can think about our need, we're really learning new skills. Um, and that's um, very real and very powerful, and it can be a way sometimes to think about our own self-care, because mm -hmm. we need to have really good brains to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's part of it. You know, and the immediate effects of grief or loss can be very traumatic. So you may be in that, you know, initial part of the stress response and trauma. So that's kind of one phase. But the longer term phase is one of a lot of learning. And I like the language sometimes of um, oscillation. You know, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll spend some time in just that awareness of loss and you're there. And then we turn over here and we do some learning. And that looks like, again, the I'm going to get out, I'm going to walk, I'm going to um, go to a party with friends, I'm going to go see a silly movie, and then I'm going back here. So oscillation sometimes can be a way of thinking about mm -hmm. our stance with that. That it's not a straight path. It is not a straight path. <laughs> uh, there, are no, there is no one way, uh -huh. and it really is um, more like the... Uh, the tide or the oscillation of a fan. Yeah. 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 And, and our relationship to grief changes over time. That's why the word grieving is helpful. Mm -hmm. You will grieve forever. And if you've lost a parent, you'll really miss them at these anniversaries. They come up and you think, oh my goodness, my mother would have loved that. And all that that we do that relationship to grief changes over time uh, when we're grieving well. Um, and that might be the language of a resilient grief versus some other sort of complicated mm -hmm. grieving. So. Yeah. so this next question I have um, comes out of, I did a training with um, Hospice Atlanta that was offered um, for clergy. Mm. And um, they distributed some information 
um, although we didn't talk about it very much, about how um, grieving looks differently um, at different life stages. So, um, which is particularly helpful when um, you're dealing with children or teens who are grieving, and even in that stage, you've got to break it down yeah. to particular age groups looking at developmental stages. Right. So can you talk a little bit about what, how um, grief is expressed differently and experienced differently yeah. by people at different life stages? Yeah, I, and sometimes it's just helpful to know that it is different in different life stages. I'm not a child um, psychi psychiatrist or psychologist, but um, you know, children and then the age of the child is very different. Mm -hmm. And so some of that magical thinking is really strong in a five-year-old child who um, maybe got up and the parent wanted them to wear one thing and they wanted to wear the other thing and then something tragic happens during the day and that child decides because I, I put those shoes on, this happened. I mean, that's very real for children and then you can start to do that um, a little bit or, or, or not as much as you get older. Um, children also have to develop and so you're holding this grief with their development. You know, when we're young adults, if you have a loss during the time that you're raising children and you're working, sometimes the issue is that you need rest and you just can't have rest mm -hmm. because your life is so busy. So one way to think about it really is in um, phase of life and you know, what do I need to grieve well given the phase of life that I'm in? Mm -hmm. um, and as we've all known, you know, it's very different to lose um, a beloved elder and you knew it was coming versus a traumatic, tragic, unexpected loss of a young person. Mm -hmm. So just such different experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, same, I was at a funeral yesterday of a younger man, and it was sudden. Uh, this, this one minute you're talking and then the being found dead. And uh, we've had a tragic death a uh, uh, couple of weeks ago go here. And so when parents are burying their children, mm -hmm. uh, that, again, that reverse of life, the life cycle, most of we grow up thinking that we will uh, bury our parents, mm -hmm. but they won't bury us. Mm -hmm. And so when that's shifted, and, and being with parents, we have one group of parishioners, all parents who've lost their adult children uh, in the last uh, year. Mm -hmm. And so that shock to the system is really, um, that's, that's very difficult. Uh, because it does, I'm talking about the brain, we just don't, we're not, we know it happens, but it's just something that I remember, it's just something that we don't, we don't think will happen, or we certainly hope won't, because it does shift that grief and makes it even another, it adds another layer to it. I remember one of my former colleagues, her, she lost her adult son, twin, she had twins, and one of her adult uh, sons, twin sons, passed away. And she said, a parent is not supposed to bury his or her mm -hmm. child. And so that's particularly difficult. Mm -hmm. Well, it also goes into your identity. If you're a parent and you've um, buried a child, are you still a mom? Are you still a dad? Um, and how do you 
how do you live that I, that part of your identity um, in a different way? Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So uh, when I was coming up with these questions, it was interesting. A recent uh, New York Times article, um, the title said, <laughs> asks, how long should it take to grieve? And I was like, hey, I'll throw that one this way. <laughs> yeah, that, um, you know, it's kind of a loaded uh, issue. And as we say in mental health, I mean, there is many opinions sometimes in mental health as there are mental health practitioners. And so we all have to know that. But um, that article was really referring to this concept of, we used to call it complicated grief. Mm -hmm. uh, now we update these diagnoses for prolonged grief disorder. Mm -hmm. um, actually prefer the language of complicated grief because yeah. it uh, makes more sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, but I think there's some value in recognizing about one in 10 people will um, have not a resilient kind of grief, but a grief that interrupts this process of learning that has to come after the grieving. And it's real mm -hmm. uh, and can be quite serious and it can uh, be pervasive in every part of their life. And it does need usually some attention on what else is going on? How do we make sense of this? You think about if it was a broken bone, um, and, you know, after three months, your leg was still kind of crooked and it was painful and you couldn't get on it. You'd be like, that's, there's something going on with your broken bone. We would go check it out. You might have to reset it, get mm -hmm. it so that healing can happen naturally. And so this can happen in grief where all of a sudden we need to look at what else is going on that might interfere that parallel process of um, experiencing the loss, but also the learning mm -hmm. of a new way of being in the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's been good to see in the grief support group is um, that process mm -hmm. of when we start, it's just there are a number of tears. It's hard for people to even talk, sometimes talk mm -hmm. about the loss. And then how little by little they're able to have a better grasp and be able to move into life again and to see that over the year. Um, but I think we, we can't put a time how long it, that people grieve in different ways. And people grieve sometimes they move forward and then they may go back and it's the, those are the waves. And, and sometimes uh, I think that becomes, if we get too legalistic about it, it's not helpful. So to give people that space. I do think that is important though that people are, that they don't, that the getting stuck, I mentioned that. Mm -hmm. That there is this moving forward. And I think the funeral service, which is why I'm a strong proponent of having a funeral service, because it really uh, sort of walks you through that whole process. We come in, we, we mourn, we celebrate, we give attention, and then we go through that service, we honor that life that was lived, we come into the reception or repast, and then it's life goes on. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, it's that circle, and it just, it really brings us back, it, it, it moves us toward, uh, we turn toward life. That life is ended, we move on with life. And we say, 
This is how our loved one would want us to mm-hmm. do, is to, to, to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we commend them to God's care. Mm-hmm. We're, our part of care is done. We've commended them to God's yeah, yeah. care, and now we've got to sort out how to live life. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Beautiful. What are some of the um, spiritual challenges, questions um, that you have found people commonly wrestle with in grief? Yeah. <clears throat> well, they're as broad as, as the human experience. Um, but as I was kind of reflecting on all of this this week before today, I think grief is almost the other side of the circle of awe. Mm-hmm. When we see things that are so beautiful, when we see our children nature, what our church looks like on Sunday morning, just it, it's beyond words, really. Mm-hmm. And loss is also, um, it's the opposite of that. It is, it's really utter bewilderment mm-hmm. often that this can happen and that it's so big and it's so real. So sometimes I think if we can just remind ourselves, um, we often like binary solutions. Mm -hmm. We love that in the church sometimes. (laughs) Um, But this is not a binary experience. It is an experience that is beyond words. It is embodied. And um, it's bigger than all of that. So let's give ourselves some grace to recognize Mm -hmm. it's a pretty large experience. That's Mm -hmm. the best I can do, Elizabeth. (laughs) No, I love that. That's a beautiful description. Yeah. Yeah, I, somehow I just thought of this. I saw this young woman in my head. My hardest death as a chaplain was a motorcycle death on a day like today. Mm-hmm. It was a Sunday. I was on call, know the chaplain there, and then I was called to the emergency room. The wife was on her way to be told and that her husband had passed away. And so, you know, I get the call. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. And, and so I go down, and, and I, it was the hardest death for me. I had some flashes of this woman. I just, I, I will always see her face, the helplessness mm-hmm. um, of here she, her husband had gone out for motors, a Sunday afternoon stroll, and it wasn't his fault. The people in the car didn't stop, and he, they didn't stop at the stop sign, and he just had nowhere to go but into the car. Mm-hmm. And killed instantly and I was able to say that because she wanted to know was anyone else mm-hmm. was he did he cause anyone else to die and he I was able to say no mm-hmm. but one of the nieces had a lot of anger mm-hmm. at the injustice mm-hmm. of here is a good person gone mm-hmm. and why are these other people around mm-hmm. who are not and so you sometimes that happens mm-hmm. of of just like Good people going, this is my child, and who never did good, and then you have these people who just spew hatred, and they live. Mm-hmm. So I deal as a priest, having a lot of prayer, conversations about release, and about having those emotions that they don't, that anger does not become destructive anger, mm-hmm. but they can be channeled in a positive way. Mm-hmm. It, it angers, but you can't stay in anger. <laughs> it will destroy. Yeah, and so. you can't hold it in either. Oh, right. 
Right. So yeah, and finding ways to deal with that anger, understandable anger, with that pain, and how can you find a way to release it in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. So for all of us gathered here, we know um, when we have a loved one in grief, we're here in the South, we know what to do. We bring casseroles and food to the house and make sure that they're well-fed, right? Yeah. But what are some other ways of um, supporting, coming alongside someone who's grieving? Yeah, I, I wrote down some do's and don'ts with grief, and, and I know you all have your experience, and all of you here have your experience, So, and we could have a little fun with this. Um, so, but you know, here's... Some, some do's that uh, I have found helpful and most people have found helpful. Um, say their name. Yep. Um, offer hope. Mm-hmm. Reach out. Um, obviously, assist with meals and chores. Uh, little things, like if it's your neighbor and you can bring up their newspaper and you can really do that or bring down their garbage can mm-hmm. on Mondays because they may not remember um, and just tell them I'm going to do this for the next three months for mm-hmm. you. Th- those are lovely um, helpful things. Listen, listen, listen. Mm-hmm. Avoid judgments. Mm-hmm. Um, we all grieve differently and you are the expert on your grief. Um, I can share what I know and what we've learned but you're the expert. Um, make note of specific days so sometimes mm-hmm. keeping a calendar for people mm-hmm. when they yeah. hit anniversary times <laughs> um, yeah mm-hmm. we've learned here horse leadership here has been so tremendous um, but in the immediate effects if you have a gatekeeper um, that's really helpful so mm-hmm. a point guard to tell um, the community what's needed what's not needed that mm-hmm. in the immediate um, uh, aftermath is really helpful and I want to remind everyone too um, for, for you and for each other to support your physical health, mm-hmm. uh, to remember that often after these particular traumatic incident or a long illness, um, our bodies can take the brunt of that. It's a time when physical illness comes up. It's really common. Um, I can remember a client of mine um, had just long traumatic death of a beloved spouse and and the aftermath had developed some abdominal pain. It was, uh, you know, just kind of there, and mm-hmm. they come and go, and it was sort of, you know, and everybody just assumed, you know, it was just her grief, and, and she had appendicitis. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like yeah. the first thing you think of with abdominal pain, and it got missed. And so mm. we uh, just really know that for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, so I wrote down some don'ts, and you all mm-hmm. fill in. Um, one of my favorite books lately is Kate Bowler's uh, mm-hmm. book, um, um, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Yeah. So it is just <laughs> wonderful. It so is. I wrote down some lies that have been told, not in this church, mm. but in some of those other churches. Sure. Um, <laughs> that, uh, so, it, but these are in the don'ts. Um, it was God's will. Yeah. It's for the best. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Be grateful for the time you had. Yeah. They're in a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, not helpful, just not helpful. And um, so, Horace, which ones have I missed? Oh, um, no, you, you're yeah. good. <laughs> you got a lot of it. Yeah. I, I, I remember um, 
certainly the hardest funeral I've gone through was a six-week-old baby and of my former associate priest. And um, I was talking to her, and she was saying, someone told her, um, well, he did what he was supposed to do on this earth. <laughs> and she's like, well, I'm kind of, you know, six-week-old. I'm not sure what that was. Yeah, and, and you know, well-intentioned, but um, need not be said. I, use, I stress ministry of presence, mm -hmm. which I can't underscore enough. Mm -hmm. so just, and you talked about listen. One of the best things you can do is just listen. Yep. Just a lot. Be that whole space for people. Because a lot of times they just want to talk about what they're feeling and what they've gone through. Be, be able to be that sounding board uh, for them um, and a non-anxious presence. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you don't need to say something, and it certainly don't say those things. Mm -hmm. Because it just really um, that it, it cheapens yeah. the experience. It was a great line. In, it's it was seen in Steel Magnolias when Sally Field just is you know very um, woman who was coming forth and trying to say some of those things, and she Darryl just said, <laughs> right, she did not want to hear it. And I think sometimes people, and they, they've gone, there's some church communities, they've grown up with those uh -huh. trite mm -hmm. truisms, of the sayings. And it's human, so we all, we all do it. Uh, so when bad things happen, part of our brain is to look back and make correlations. It's just what we do. So if you have a, a bad day, or, or you don't feel good, you think, maybe it was that thing I ate that morning, right? We're doing that all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think in, in good faith and grieving, we're doing that, we think, well, you know, was he a smoker, or uh, maybe she didn't take care of herself, with it. and it, it's just not helpful, and it's not accurate. So it's this really narrow um, honing in on things, and... Um, Another thing is to not give advice. That's mm -hmm. really hard because you think, oh, I did this thing. It really helped me in my mm -hmm. grief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe you, you might get permission to give advice just to say, would, you, would it be helpful if I shared with you some of the things I did mm -hmm. in my journey? And it may and it may not. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. A grieving person will tell you if that's helpful. Yeah. Um, one, I, well, just one quickly. One other do is honor that person and don't avoid the conversation out yeah. uh, staying in touch with the person and talking about that person yeah. uh, because one of the things that I'm hearing in the grief support groups is that when there are some friends who won't bring it up because yeah. they don't want to make us sad they want to say it and that can be one of the worst things mm -hmm. because they want family and friends what we can do after the person is gone is to keep that person in that memory mm -hmm. and talk about that person that person lived mm -hmm. and being able to celebrate that life mm -hmm. yeah I was going to say one of the hardest funerals I've done and journeys that I've walked was with an 8 year old little boy who um, had just was 2 weeks 3 weeks away from complete completing his final chemo treatment mm. um, and had had won the battle with leukemia. Um, but he was being a little boy outside playing in the yard and got a mosquito bite. And that mosquito bite uh, meant that he contracted West Nile. And then that uh, attacked his brain. Um, 
And so for that uh, mm. child, um, I had the honor of being present with them, with the family, and being his person um, in the room while they removed life support, um, saying prayers over him. Um, it was a very sacred journey. But what happened for the parents and for the little sister is that a lot of people wouldn't say his name or didn't know what to do when his birthday came up or when his mm. favorite um, uh, holiday came up, which was Halloween, um, whether mm. or not to mark it. But uh, grieving loved ones need to know that that person had an impact, that that person's life was valued, and that you still carry that person with you. And so saying his name or her name and reaching out when it's a birthday or reaching out when it's a wedding anniversary and just saying, you know, I'm thinking of you. And, uh, you know, you can share a story or you can just leave it at that. Um, but that can mean the the most to folks who are going through the grieving process as you journey through the first year, the second year, the third year, just knowing that that person is remembered and loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we constantly refer to John Devine. Oh, yes, okay. we do. We'll say, <laughs> you know, remember John did this, and, you know, so we talk about him. We talk about Liz oh, yeah. and what she would have done and, you know, things will come up and we'll say, you know, Liz was say, yay! <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think that that is a way for us to stay connected, mm-hmm. that these were our people who we see no longer, but we still remember them and life has not ended but changed for them. And I think that is the perfect place for us to end. Thank you all for being a part of this. Thank you.